Hello and welcome to Pods Like Us. I'm Martin Crabell, known to my friends as Marv, and this time we're going to have a very special show where me and some friends, who are all podcasters, are going to discuss Christmas music. And my friends are, first of all, a man who is so renowned in the world of Beatles podcasting that everybody cowers in awe of him, uh, Mr. Ken Michaels. Do they? I never heard that before. <laughs> they should. Only, they should. Only, only Tom Hunyadi does. That's it. Yes, you yes. Know. That's right. <laughs> and from there, a really good segue to a previous guest on Pods Like Us, the co-host of Two Legs, Tom Hunyadi. Hello, Marv. Hello, everybody. It's good to be here. Now for a new person to podcasting who does a show called Decibolic, which starts, uh, I think, the week commencing the 14th of December. That's correct. Uh, Mr. Dave Belknap. How are you, Dave? Doing well. Thank you. I appreciate being able to be a part of this and to get some time with some excellent podcasters that I've just begun chasing myself. Yes. And Finally, author of a recent uh, book on U2's, was it The Joshua Tree? Um, Owen Ling. How are you, Owen? Very well. It's their entire discography. And I just, 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 to, just to point out something, I'm actually not a podcast host on myself, but I, I have know. appeared with Ken and Tom. So that was very nice of them. <laughs> I realized that after I mentioned it and I thought, no, he's not a podcaster. <laughs> well, he's a well-known podcasting wow. guest. He's been on enough of them that he might as well have one of his own. Yes. <laughs> so, Ken, what are you up to uh, lately? You got anything on? Well, this week I'll be recording uh, an episode of Things We Said Today. Um, and we'll be doing a show on Double Fantasy. As, uh, as you know, it's the 40th anniversary of that album. Um, there's so many anniversaries going on right now in the Beatle world between that, the 50th anniversary of Plastic on All Band and All Things Must Pass and the passings of George and John. You can't cover them all, you know, all in one show. But um, we did a tribute show for John earlier uh, a few months ago for his birthday, for his 80th birthday. And I'm sure we're going to be doing something for Plastic on All Band when the box set comes out. Um, and we'll be doing that on Talk More Talk as well. So I have those two podcasts and I always have a, a new show coming for my radio show of every little thing, which uh, airs every week on 40 radio stations right now. Okay. And you can find it online. At, is it KenMichaelsRadio.com? That's right. There's a page for every little thing and it lists all the radio stations and links to their websites and broadcast times. And if anyone's interested, Ken has a YouTube page that he started recently and has some really great interviews on there. Thank you. Certainly highlighted by Owen's uh, interview just recently, where uh, we talk about John's Walls and Bridges album, which he says is uh, his finest of all of, all of uh, John Lennon's solo albums. And we discover why. Yes. I think it's an overlooked John Lennon album, that's for sure. Yeah, Very true. I would agree with that. 
So what, mm. what are you up to at the moment, Tom? Anything uh, in the pipeline you can speak about? Yeah, yeah. Well, we just uh, posted our episode with um, with, with drummer. Um, uh, I'm already already. Uh, Jerry Jerry Murata, <laughs> who he was the, the the main drummer for the Press to Play uh, sessions and, and and album. He also appeared in the Stranglehold video. So he told some wonderful stories working with 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 Paul and Peter Gabriel, Hollow Notes and Orleans and Elvis Costello. So that was a lot of fun to deal with. We're we're now in the process of of booking uh Gabe Dixon, who was the keyboardist for the Driving Rain album. So really looking forward to to that. And Andy and I'm a co-host where we're just getting started in a new series on our YouTube channel called Ranking the Tracks, where we take each album and we rank the tracks on that album. And uh, coming up we have uh volume four which is red rose speedway and obviously we have mccartney three mania going on right now so you can expect uh, to see uh reviews of that album on two legs and talk more talk which i'm grateful to be part of with with ken michaels so that's uh that's definitely going to be a couple fun episodes right there yeah, the one on McCartney 3 is going to be on uh, December 21st. Correct. So it's three days after its release date. Yep. And then Two Legs will also have an episode on McCartney 3, and uh, we are going to have uh, author Luca Parazzi join us for that episode. So looking forward to, ah. looking forward to uh, wow. having him back on the show. That would be nice to hear Luca's uh, initial response. Yeah, he got a copy of the album really early, and uh, he been talking about it pretty highly on the uh, Hoffman forums and uh, he finally put out his review I think about like two weeks ago and um, and really positive so looking forward to having a, another positive outlook on the album with with Luca when uh, when that time comes okay and uh, Dave we'll have a sh- we'll have a show in the new year me and you discussing your show in more detail but uh, what are you up to at the moment with your show, Dave? And can you explain it to people? Absolutely. So it's uh, titled Live Life Loud, the Decibolic Podcast. And, uh, you know, I went with that simply because it was an easy thing to do. So it's Live Life Loud, the Decibolic Podcast. And I'm taking my last three and a half, four years that I was on the road 90% of the time away from home and blending that with uh, the time that I spent before as a musician uh, going places. So I'm in one part, I'm going to be doing a little bit of travel insight stuff as well. But the main focus is inspirational with getting a chance to talk with musicians who are performing anywhere from their backyard to around the world. Uh, pilot podcast episode uh, hit, uh, I'll hit on December 15th. And then every week after that, I'll have a new episode up. I'm really excited to have as my first main guest for a a few of the episodes, a gentleman named Dylan Bowman uh, from a band called I Prevail. They currently have a YouTube video that's hit over 3 million views as a cover of Taylor Swift's Blank Space. And then following that up, I will get to talk with a gentleman named Dino Minoxilis, the Ampeg guy, uh, Ampeg bass amps known uh, worldwide. Uh, He has been the face and the voicing of Ampeg since oh, since the 90s. So I'm really excited to have him be a part of this as well. And I'll be talking with a couple other musicians like Justin Babcock and that uh, a guitar player who plays with Leon Hendricks. And so those are all exciting episodes that will be coming up in the podcast later. 
That's great. And Owen, what are you up to at the moment? Anything in the pipeline? Uh, what am I up to? I'm scouring bookshops in Ireland to see if, if any are selling my book on YouTube. I found <laughs> one or two, so that's quite uh, I I recently appeared on Ken's uh, wonderful podcast to talk about walls and bridges. Uh, it's as as Ken said, it's my favorite of the John Lennon move, and I would say I, I think the song craft is comparable to Plastic. And I'm working on some pieces. I I mentioned in an interview I did with YouTube songs that I'm I would like to write a book on George Harrison, but it's still too early to see if that will come. Okay, Owen. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's all right. Lost you at that last little bit there. So you're thinking of doing a book on George Harrison? Yes, but it's it's too early to see if that will shape how that will shape out. Yep. Okay. So first up, then, what do people think is um, about music podcast, and what, why do you think there's such a plethora of different types of music podcasts where they do it in different ways, and why is it so? interesting and why does it have so many listeners tom well i mean i think uh i think for for one i think music is a lot of people's passion you know i mean i think when i when i hear somebody talk about you know music and and how i mean it's just you know you listen to it at work you listen to it at home I, i i feel like music is 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 like one thing that's just universally loved by by millions of people and, and you know, with all these different genres I, I think it's really cool that there's just so many different music podcasts out there for people to enjoy because there is just such a variety out there um, especially when you think of people's interests you know whether if it's jazz or, or classical or, or rock or, or pop R&B it's it's you know, something I, that I think we need to take seriously as uh, as something that people love uh, to do. I mean, it's just so, you know, you can do it, you know, on the road. I mean, it's it's just everywhere, music. And, um, I, you know, it's one of my passions and I love talking about it. And, uh, you know, I love to hear people's response uh, to to our shows and, and if they, whether or not they have the same thought process or or if they disagree with with uh with an opinion of 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 mine so it's really fun and and i love the conversations that that come from come from that so you know i I just think that uh it's just really you know as i started i mean the music is is a passion of a lot of people i mean i hardly know anybody that doesn't like music that's true do do you Mm. think do you think depending upon the presenters and how they approach music say yourself uh um are you a musician yourself tom i don't i don't think are you no 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 i i mean i sang in a garage band for one summer but that was about it (laughs) um but but no i mean even though i love music i've I've never it never inspired me to to pick up an instrument learn how to play it do you think if you're a musician that it would change the way that you approach presenting a show about music? You know, that's, that's a good question. I mean, I don't know, maybe, you know, I do have quite a few musician friends that have been on the show. And as a matter of fact, my, my you know, my original co-host, David, he, you know, he's a musician as well. He loves to, to create music, um, not professionally, but, you know, he, in his man cave, but uh, he, uh, he loves music and, you know, he, 
but he he in a way he can separate it you know the fan to the musician so whenever we were he was on the show and, and critiquing music he would do it more as a fan than as a musician yeah do you think uh, D- dave do you think it changes the way that you're approaching doing a, a show about music that you're a musician from the past that do you think it shapes how you do your uh, you're doing your show yeah, I find myself attracted to a, a lot of music that really, you know, one, I enjoy playing. But as Tom uh, said earlier, too, uh, being able to separate my my fan side from my musician side uh, has been a, a strength that I've leaned on a lot. Uh, for example, one of my favorite all-time groups is called Yellow, Y-E-L-L-O. Yeah. And uh, they hardly, if ever, have anything guitar-related in their recent music, but I still enjoy listening to it like crazy. It's just mm. been one of my favorites since I was in, since I was in middle school. So going back that far with with that group, uh, I was listening to them before. Oh yeah, uh, made its huge splash in the Ferris Bueller movie. So now I've dated myself a little bit with that. <laughs> That's okay, uh, going on, yeah. yeah but yeah, uh, I find myself really drawn to uh, a lot of stuff that that speaks to me that uh, I want to try and replicate, where it's got an emotion that that strikes with me uh, as a guitar player. Uh, I find that uh, I listen to a lot of groups that might otherwise get a little bit of uh, a hate mail here in the States. Uh, and that is, that is not uncommon. Uh, yeah, but there's, there's things that I like. I, I really enjoy pop music as well. So for me, it's always been about branching out. I love jazz, uh, grew up on the blues, um, grew up with a little uh, Jimmy Page and Jimi Hendrix playing in the, in the back all the time uh, from the age of two on. So yeah, uh, I really feel it does. It has affected how I listen and what I'm listening for uh, in the music. You know, the different rhythms, something that's not the same cut and paste uh, B-rated movie every time. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. What do you think, Ken? Do you think it changes how somebody, you know, presents a show as to whether they're coming at it from a musician's point of view or from a listener's point of view? I think um, you really should try to, if you can, combine the two. You have to know who your audience is, and you can't really talk about things that are too technical if you think that most of your listeners won't understand it. I also have a musical background. Um, I know music theory, and I played a number of musical instruments, but I rarely ever talk about that in the show. And I can recognize when certain songs are far more complicated or more innovative. If there's a way that I could explain it to, you know, the average Joe, I think that's, you know, that's a strength of the presenter instead of just saying, well, we're going from a seventh chord to a diminished ninth here. Uh, a lot of people aren't going to know what that means. So, um, but also in answering, I'd love to answer like the first question that you asked Tom, because I have a, a radio background that's been my entire career. I've been in radio for almost 40 years. Uh, and I think that, you know, radio has become really stale, commercial radio, um, FM and AM, when it, where music is concerned in particular. Um, it's all about ratings. It's all about playing what's safe. And there's very little innovative programming that's on the radio. You have to turn to either college radio or public radio, or you really got to search it out to find anything that's very interesting where music is concerned. So I think that's opened up the doors wide for podcasts to the degree where 
you can not only have podcast shows on specific genres, but you can have them on a specific artist. And even within that artist, you can be more specialized. Like, for example, you know, Talk More Talk is all solo Beatles. It's not just everything Beatles. And Tom's show is all just Paul McCartney solo. You know, so you can apply that to so many different things and get even more specialized. And you're going to find audiences will eventually discover you, hopefully. But um, there's a dire need, I think, for that kind of programming out there. And it's something that terrestrial radio is not meeting the needs for. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I remember I had a conversation with somebody about this. They were talking about, I interviewed somebody called Ben Burrell, who works for Absolute Radio, which is a radio station in, in the UK. But he also does a couple of podcasts. And one of those that's a particular favorite of mine is Bob Dylan album, my album. I think Andy, uh -huh. I think Andy Nichols listens to that as well, I think. And, um, okay. and they, they were saying that because Ben does the show, it sounds like a radio show. And to, to a degree, I, I agree with him because of the fact that Ben is a professional radio presenter, that you've got that to it. But I don't think that that show would work on commercial radio because it's too niche. Whereas, right. like, like you were saying, if you're going at it from as a podcast, you can get that audience that are looking for that program or looking for programming all about that, which wouldn't work on commercial radio. Right. You're reminding me of an experience that I had when I worked at the ABC radio networks in New York. And, um, one of the top executives there were asking for ideas for new programs. And I, I'm really good at coming up with ideas for shows. And I wrote down a whole bunch of them. I had a private meeting with this executive. And every single one of them, he said to me, that's a podcast. That's a podcast. <laughs> so, um, you know, he just looked at every idea that I had as being so specialized. But uh, that's where podcasting comes in. I think that's a really good strength of podcast as well is because that that is when people are looking for that specific thing that they that they want to hear that they can't find on the radio. Right. So agreed. Yeah, yeah. I, I've heard it said by one gentleman that the riches are in the niches and not so much monetarily, but speaking to the fact also that there is so much so much great wealth of information that you just miss out on because things are so generalized trying to swing for the broadest fence possible and not even hitting it where you get the niche program that really can zero in on some stuff in a specific topic in that. And it just really brings out a, a life. It's like reading a good book. You get all these great visualizations inside your head as you explore through the episodes of that podcast. Yeah. And even, and even in the world of, uh, because, Ken and Tom are from uh, shows that, that look at different uh, sides to the Beatles, uh, well, the solo careers, and Ken also does work with, you know, he, he's got that fabulous every little thing where he does different songs from all over the Beatles spectrum and solo spectrum and cover versions. Uh, I think you've also got that niche there where you can have those, like Ken was saying, you've got people who do shows about Paul McCartney, John Lennon, um, the Beatles all together, solo careers of the Beatles. And you can go into these things in, in detail because that's perfect for a podcast where someone is out there looking for that exact thing to sort of grab them and to, 
for that. Well, basically, these people are looking for shows exactly like that. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And there's all sorts of bands where where this happens. I mean, uh, I mean, for instance, Tom listens to uh, a Kiss um, podcast. <laughs> couple. <laughs> a couple. Right. Okay. <laughs> what we need, Dave, is a podcast about Yellow. There we go. We'll work on that for 2022. How about that? <laughs> I'm with you on that. We'll go album by album. Excellent. And I'll try and learn all the guitar parts from the first couple of albums when they had a permanent guitarist. Hmm. So, Owen, have you got anything to add to, to this? Well, I'm certainly no musician. My, my line is I play with heart strings, not guitar strings, which is a okay. dreadful chapter of line. But uh, I listen to other podcasts. One of my favorites is uh, Rule by Three, which is about which is two of the seminal UK comedians inviting another comedian on to talk about great comedy and the mechanizations. So going back to what you said about niche, I think that works because they have the expertise to talk about such a good subject. Mm. Okay. Has, has anybody got any uh, interesting shows that they listen to that they suggest people listen to about music? Um, Tom? Um, about music? Oh, boy. Um, well, I mean, if you, you know, the very first one that I discovered, things we said today, I was uh, very impressed with with the hosts and, and their knowledge and their enthusiasm with uh, with the show. And obviously, Ken Michaels is a part of that. And along with Alan Cozen and Darren DeVivo, it's a show that um, continues to to i mean it's 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 been great its entire run but it continues to be not only great but um um entertaining as well i mean the conversations they have are are top notch and you know they uh, they know their 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 um they know about uh, what they're talking about so they they know their subjects well and um and it shows in their show um you know, I've I've talked about you know a couple, you know, Kiss uh, podcasts, and the one that I mainly listen to is uh, it's called Three Sides of the Coin, and you know, there's three gentlemen that uh, I kind of also based my show off too. Is it's like three three fans talking about their favorite band, and that's what kind of what what Two Legs is is you know two guys talking about their favorite musician, and. Um, but they're very knowledgeable as well too and uh and very entertaining so you know those those two are, are tend to be my the two shows that you know i can been listening to now for what six seven years or however long it's been um i think what uh, things we said today is almost eight years old now um so uh, it's not, more than that yeah, oh, is it? Yeah. No. Oh no, you're right. 2012. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. yeah. Yeah. So I mean, as the more and more shows get out there, I mean, I would love to be able to listen to you know all the Beatle related shows. It's just that you know, when you when you do two shows and you you have a full time job and you have you know you're also married, you know, it the, the, to find the time to do all these things, it just it just makes it really tough. Um, so I mean, I wish I could have more shows to recommend out there to people, but you know, it's just you know you have your you, you have your stuff that you you listen to and you have your routine and it, it's sometimes it's hard to get out of that routine but um but you know i, I those are the two shows that shows that i've been been enjoying for the last eight years myself okay ken do you listen to other music podcast well i'm kind of in the same boat as tom in the sense that um 
you know, I'd like to listen to other Beatle podcasts, but I only have so much time. And I'd love to listen to other music podcasts. Mm-hmm. I find myself listening to, when it comes to the Beatles, I like to listen to Two Legs. I like to listen to Robert Rodriguez if I have the time. There's a, a podcast I was just turned on to by Kit, and probably you, Tom, called Nothing is Real, which I mm-hmm. think is really good. I feel very guilty when there are, there, are, there are really good podcasts out there that I haven't had the time yet to discover. Right. And uh, there's so much. Uh, and not only that, I'm really kind of surprised that I'm even saying this because, you know, it's very important to me that information on the Beatles comes from people who are really knowledgeable and know their history. So I want the real experts talking. But I'm also finding at the same time that I'm enjoying hearing podcast shows and people who have YouTube channels from young people like Ethan Alexanian mm-hmm. or Sam Wiles, who are, you know, so much younger than us, who are learning as they're going along. You know, so it's very important that the Beatles or any artist always attracts a young demographic. Otherwise, their audience will just get older and die off. So it's important for me to know what young people are thinking about the Beatles catalog, whether it be the group, whether it's a solo. So hearing about it from a young person's perspective is also important to me. But most of the time when it comes to to any kind of uh, listening or watching podcasts or anything, they tend to be the Beatle podcasts. And I also find myself glued to a lot of what's on YouTube um, which I don't even know if you call them podcasts. They, they could be. seems like everything is called a podcast now. <laughs> but, um, you know, anyone who does these, here are my top 10 favorite McCartney albums of all time right. videos, you know, I, I get glued to that stuff. And then that leads to someone else doing the same thing. And I, I love watching any interviews with anyone who worked with the Beatles or uh, is an author on Beatle books. But, if I had more time, I'd certainly uh, investigate other music podcasts on other artists. Yeah. Um, picking up on something you mentioned there, Sam and uh, Ethan, because of the, the, their age, it's interesting when you've got an established group from years ago, it's interesting to listen to it from a younger person's point of view because they're coming at it not as the music's coming out, but that music, for the most part, is already out there to listen to. And it's interesting to hear how their initial opinions oh, yeah. are sometimes different to ours when, when we were around, because we were around <coughs> when, you know, Press to Play came out and things like that. <laughs> so we've already got that sort of, you know, but they're coming at it from a different point of view. Even with me, McCartney too, I remember that right. coming out because somebody bought that me uh, when, I was, when I was nine or well, I would have been 10 when that came out. Right, yep. But, but they're coming at it from a different point. And I said to Sam on the, on the show with him that I did and, and to Ethan on a show that's coming out in the new year, I said to both of them that that makes it interesting to me as someone who's followed the Beatles and their solo careers as a fan to listen to somebody who's young and coming at it from that point of view that that music's already there and it's not new. They're coming at right. it from the the fact that it's already there and that makes it interesting yeah, yeah. It, it's two different worlds really and we've talked mm-hmm. about this on talk more talk just recently the fact that i discovered the beatles in 1964 when meet the beatles came out in america and so i've had this this luxury of 
experiencing all their music chronologically as it happened through all the solo music. It's so much more different for someone like Tom, who said on our show, he, he didn't really get into the Beatles until like 1985 or so. Yeah. Or Kit, Kit discovered the Beatles through Michael Jackson working with Paul McCartney. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, I mean, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I've expressed my my jealousy to <laughs> you know a little bit to to Ethan because if I had YouTube back in 1986, 87 when I was you know his age, now I mean I, I would like to think that I would be doing the same thing that he's doing, you know, learning as I go. I mean, discovering them and and you know talking about them as I'm discovering their music and um, you know especially solo music at that time as well. And uh, I, you know, both of what him and, you know, Sam are doing, I, I really, you know, appreciate them, you know, taking that, that chance because there's not a lot of younger people. There wasn't a lot of younger people my age when I was, you know, that when I was getting into them that I could, re that I could talk to them. I didn't have that, uh, that format, um, but we do, we have that now. And I think that just, you know, gives younger people a little bit more confidence knowing that there's people out there that will listen to their 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 views so good on them for doing it to have the courage to do it yeah absolutely absolutely so uh bringing dave back into the conversation now um i think dave would would agree that uh, you know even when you look at bands I, I would say that he's already mentioned the band yellow and bands from then that are that are well established I think that depending on when you were, uh, like I said, discover an artist mm -hmm. and younger people who discover these artists, I think they, I think their fandom or their interest in it is slightly different to somebody was, that was there at the time with them as well. Say with all established artists. What do you think, Dave? I agreed with that. It's uh, it's always interesting when you get to talk with a, a younger musician. Uh, I spent years also in a, in a music shop uh, selling music equipment as well. And, you know, they would come up and they would play me a riff from something. And I'm like, you know, that reminds me a lot of this. And they're like, what? Um, because my base was just wide enough. I'd say, yeah, you should check this group out sometime. And just being able to go beyond, you know, where they are at and helping them to find a more depth to it. You know, it's like the idea that Jimi Hendrix even was a major jazz guitar player before his sudden meteoric rise in the world of rock. Or that uh, Jimmy Page has done everything besides blues to doing pop music, to doing some very classical stuff, to doing some very esoteric big band uh, grouping things. And everybody just knows him as the guitar player of Led Zeppelin. So being able to have uh, more of that catalog available, I think, is very, uh, right. very substantiating, very helps it with a, a great depth. Yeah. And of course, you know, Jimmy Page also worked with the. Uh, a few Donovan sessions as well back in the day. <laughs> he sure did. Yeah. Not at all. <clears throat> and, and I'd like to add to that too, because when like doing, doing a show on Paul McCartney, like I'm doing and you know, taking chances because Paul McCartney does take chances in, in reaching, stretching out into different genres. Therefore I, you know, we kind of take a chance, you know, by doing shows on them and seeing whether or not they would click or, click whether or not doing a show about you know the classical stuff or you know the experimental stuff you know as some people tend to to like them and some people tend to you know stay away from them but you still have to talk about them i i believe because i think it's just important as their regular canyon stuff yeah i think uh myself as you know because because I, I i play play musical instruments and i've got 
got a degree in music and that but um when i when i listen to it i'm i'm almost like envious of mccartney taking these chances in a way because i love experimenting with music i'll, I'll pick it up an instrument and i'll think oh i wonder what what i can do this time if i do this or if i press this button on a keyboard what will that do and <laughs> and and all that so i'm all for the experimentalism and in a way like i said and i think i'm i'm guessing that dave would be the same as well as a musician and ken when he's played played instruments that it's it's something that's magical about being able to to just pick up an instrument and suddenly you come up with something and and you, you might you might feel a bit like oh I'm not sure whether I should play that to somebody because it's a bit out there whereas Paul McCartney when he releases these experimental things like the Fireman and uh, the McCartney Two for instance and um, also the Liverpool. Collage uh, yeah, album and the collage, yeah. and then the Twin uh, Freaks. Yes, yeah. Twin Freaks. I love Twin Freaks, and the um, and the uh, orchestral music that he does as well. You know, it's I, I'm almost envious as a musician that he's actually willing to just go. Do you know what? I'll just release this and see what happens. Yeah, every time that he's released these DIY albums, it starts off with him saying, "I didn't realize I was going to release it," <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> and he ends up doing it anyway. But. Um, you know, Paul's also fortunate that he's had so much success that he could do whatever he wants. Mm. But I hope that in a show like Talk More Talk or Things We Said Today or even with Two Legs, that you're educating your viewers to what Paul has done. Because there's always going to be those mainstream fans out there that know Paul for being Mr. Top 40. You know, right. everything is all silly love songs and listen to what the man said and songs like that. And there's nothing wrong with that side of Paul, but there's a million sides to Paul McCartney. And that's what podcasts like ours um, give you the freedom to talk about. And one other thing about podcasts that I think is really valuable is that there are no rules. Yeah. You know, if you're doing a show on, on the radio, it's got to be a strict time every week. It's got to be exactly an hour or half an hour. Our shows can run... <laughs> hour and 15 minutes one week and two hours the next week. It all depends upon how much we get into the topic. And I think that a lot of people find that appealing. Yep. And um, because of that, uh, that's making me think about, I'm, I'm looking forward to listening to Dave's show. I'll be honest when it comes out, because I'm, I'm guessing that Dave will go into this business of uh, where musicians get their ideas from and the experimentalism of it and, and all about, the risk taking that's involved in putting out new music dave definitely yeah i am really looking forward to getting to to that stage with some of the people i've talked with already on on you know like a round two but even when you listen to uh to live life loud uh the intro and the outro were both parts of songs that i had worked on before and i'm just like you know i i could put these to good use by making this my intro this little nice outro groove. This will be a great groove for the end credits. Just something really kind of relaxed now that we've gotten through it. A kind of a little wind down aspect. So that's been a part of it uh, fun for me as well as uh, things that I normally would not have found an outlet for. I'm going to start incorporating into uh, my podcast in bits and pieces as well. D Dave, you are the odd one out because the other three know that my intro and outro music are also by me. <laughs> they are pieces of music nice. that I had lying around that I just thought they, they work perfectly. And uh, Ken was very helpful with, along with Ed Chen of when they was fabbing picking the music. Thank you, Ken. Oh, 
You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I having a discussion about it. We had a discussion. I put them up, didn't I, in the chat, and and you were, and I think Tom was in the chat as well, and and uh, I think you you said one or two things about it. I think, <laughs> I think. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I love I love the title of your show more than anything because I love right. spies like us. <laughs> so, there we go. <laughs> it's really clever. Right. Uh, well done well done yes. <laughs> very few people have noticed that so uh i think that was uh thanks to your wife right the, the title it, yes louise chose that yes. one yes she did so we yep. all should all be toasting her right now that's right and i'll get the 12 inch out tomorrow and have a listen to it actually i think <laughs> i still own the 12 inch of that spies like so us do I. I do yeah. yes yeah very cool so um Anyway, going to the uh, to the main topic of the conversation, what do we think actually makes a song a Christmas song? Is it just a song that's about Ooh. that mentions Christmas, or could it that's be a, a song one. that's? It, it's a strange one because you'll find songs that are on compilations about Christmas, but not, they don't always say Christmas in them. Mm. Um, so, what do you think it is that makes that a christmas song where other songs might not be for me it's about nostalgia you know, remembering times or something uh, a great event that happened in my life or just uh something that i've heard uh year upon year and it always brings me back and kind of gets me into that that holiday festive mood uh music does so even more so than uh than the outside weather um i moved a little bit uh, about 15 years ago from a part up north of uh, Michigan where it was very snowy all the time. You just thought about snow and in July you had it. So uh, moving just a little bit down, I was fully expecting that. Got my beautiful little snowblower all gassed up, oiled up and ready to go. It snowed and I'm like, here it comes. Went outside, did it. Came back from work that day and all the snow was gone. And I'm like, what sort of witchery is this? That I don't have anything left to do now that I'm home. Hmm. So, you know, it's it's definitely caused a transition where where that song comes out, you know. And to that reason, I purposefully hide the uh, the CDs on my wife so that I hmm. don't listen to them anytime between uh, before Thanksgiving or after about the second week of the new year. Uh, cool. I'm from Michigan, too. Where, where are you right now? If you don't mind uh, Grand asking. Rapids area, Wyoming. Okay, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm more on the east side, the, just north of Detroit. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, but I'm in Arizona now because I've had it with the snow myself. <laughs> Thirty-one years. <laughs> <Funny>. <laughs> That's totally understandable. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to move south, but my wife wouldn't have it. So. Oh. <laughs> so that's a that's an interesting point you've made there though dave i mean what what are people's opinions on when you listen to christmas songs uh, yeah ken, I, sorry. no go ahead sorry ken what's your take on when people should listen to christmas songs they shouldn't listen to christmas songs until after thanksgiving okay yeah <laughs> i'm kind of turned off by you know what what goes on in terrestrial radio where it seems like every year Christmas moves up even earlier and earlier every year. And then you have two months of Christmas music on certain stations. And then you get kind of burnt out on certain songs. Right. 
Um, I love to hear Christmas music for that one last month of the year. And some of my favorite music is Christmas music. But for me, Christmas music is something that makes you think about either the holiday itself or the end of the year or the winter time or the snow or getting together with family. And it could be something that's happy and festive or it could be something that's sad. You know, have yourself a, a merry little Christmas is kind of a sad song, you know, because you're hearing words about uh, through the years we all will be together if the fates allow. You're not with your loved ones. So it works on that level. And then you've got something like Wonderful Christmas Time, which is happy and peppy and bursting with love. <laughs> you keep going, you'll be, put, you'll be telling people all my top five. <laughs> well i'm used to doing that with tom because i always take away his songs every time that we do it a top five so yeah, i should be the last one here <laughs> yeah, i'm thinking that all of ours are gonna be a little different i'm hoping anyways i'm hoping that as well i was going to say every time i listen to you uh, doing one of those shows where you pick favorites on thought more talk i'm always thinking that put the person that's that's leading the discussion must be really worried that when it comes to their turn at the end of everybody else's turn, right. that all theirs have already gone. So on. Right. That's what we do to Joe. Yeah. You know, I'm sure she's the last one. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> so, uh, Owen, what's your take on when you should listen to Christmas songs? Well, that's a, that's a, that's a good question. I, it's a hot topic because you also see it in the cinema canon. I will go to my grave declaring Die Hard is not a Christmas film, but yes, people <laughs> attest that it is. Yes. Uh, so uh, for some reason in Ireland and the UK, uh, Stay Another Day, which I don't know was a hit in the US, but that's considered a Christmas song, despite the fact that the only thing making it a Christmas song is that there's some jingle jangly bells at the end of it. Otherwise, yes. this beautiful... It's a beautiful, but it's a funeral. It's a eulogy. The man who wrote it wrote it about his brother's tragic suicide. Yeah, and it's 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 not exactly festive and cheery. It's a it's a it's real. It's uh it's an achingly beautiful farewell. Uh, but that that's considered a bit of a Christmas classic. And uh, I think the, the 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 ones I would gravitate to are the ones that explicitly talk about Christmas, like Fairy Tale of New York or Slade's Merry Christmas Everyone. The ones that the 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 ones that have Christmas in the actual title, but. Uh, Different different strokes for different folks, I suppose. I still find it funny that that Slade's "Merry Christmas, Everybody" was um, was recorded in in July in in uh, downtown New York. I think the record plant it was recorded in. I think yes. a lot, of, and you and you'll be you'll be surprised, maybe not surprised to see when when you look at when a lot of these Christmas songs or albums are recorded. There are a lot of times they are recorded in the middle of summer. Right. Well, they have to the, be to allow them to get ready. Yep, sorry. Right. The, the song "Let It Snow, Let It Snow, Let It Snow" was written oh, in the right. summertime. That's right. And, and so was so was "Wonderful Christmas Time" for that Time. matter. Yep, that's true. Yep, and uh, "White Christmas" was written in the summertime as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a lot of great Christmas songs that were written by Jewish people. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Jim made that in an interview with Paul Lester. I interviewed Jim Lee about uh, uh, from Slade at one point, but I was afraid that it being the summertime, he'd hang up if I asked him a Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> was he happy with talking about it? Well, I didn't go into it. <laughs> so, uh, 
So yeah, uh, amongst the various subjects that we talked about, we didn't come up. I still need to listen to the episode of uh, Strange Brew, Jason Barnard's, where he's he, he did a two-part interview with Jim Lee on there. So listening to Christmas songs, and we're talking about what makes a Christmas song as well. Mm-hmm. So your own personal listening, then, what, what do you gravitate towards listening to personally Christmas song-wise, uh, Dave? Oh. All right. Uh, it, it can vary a bit. Uh, yeah, um, I think we're not getting to the top five yet, so. We're, grad- we're gradually working away there. Okay. All right. Good, good. Uh, really, whatever my wife wants to listen to, I give this <laughs> as the one time where she gets to rule the radio in the house. Uh, and she uh, usually likes a lot of the, the mellower stuff. Uh, so it's kind of more of the... The larger choir uh, pieces, she enjoys that, or instrumentals. So it's if it's it's either full singing or no singing, when it comes to the the music that she typically enjoys on there. Uh, you know, we'll put the uh, we'll put the Yule log uh, on the TV, get that little video going, and then she'll uh, just let it go away. And it's a lot of the a lot of the traditional stuff. Uh, a bit of Kenny G is what she always likes. She loves the Kenny G album, and that's. Probably in part because we got married in December, mm-hmm. so that that album was a gift to us, and uh, I think I think that uh, might have gotten a little worn out for me for a few years after our honeymoon. I'll put it that way. But uh, uh, for me personally, I, I do like a, a lot of the the pop renditions of songs. I, I like listening to somebody else's take on a traditional classic as well. Uh, that can be a lot of fun to hear something that's oh so familiar in a distinctly different uh genre or or setting than what i've been used to growing up yeah but that, that, that's the same with a lot of music i mean i find that where i'll hear cover versions of songs and think oh i want to have approached it that way that's that's interesting like um like am i right in thinking ken that there was a reggae cover version of maybe i'm amazed or or, or, or paul mccartney song once I don't recall it. It's possible. I mean, there's been a lot of covers of that song. But I like when when people do something that's very different from the original arrangement because it takes takes an imagination to do that instead of just copying the same arrangement. So. Yes. Yeah, because, you know, you, you, basically a song is the, the melody and the chords that go with it and whatever you do with that you it is is up to you as the uh, performer to do that and so there are various different ways that you can perform these songs true true yeah. yep so i i was going to basically suggest things like um, when it comes to my own personal christmas listening uh i i know for certain that the 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 the, the phil spector christmas album is oh, an absolute ne- mm-hmm. necessity even, even though I have problems sometimes with Phil's Phil's <laughs> Phil's production, occasionally that one it has to come on because it's it's the perfect Christmas album to my mind. Right. Yep. So, are, are there any albums, specifically Christmas albums, that people gravitate towards? That you gravitate towards, um, Tom, in your listening for Christmas? Well. Well, my wife and I, we, we do collect Christmas records. Um, <clears throat> well, we will generally pick one or two up. 
uh, every year, uh, we just picked up a, uh, a Dolly Parton, Kenny Rogers Christmas <laughs> Christmas album that we haven't listened to yet. But um, but but you know what? Yeah, there, there's there's some uh, there's a John Denver one that we that we gravitate towards. There's uh, Pretty Paper by um, Willie Nelson that, that mm-hmm. enjoy, um, and and it's a wide range from you know we even have a, a a disco christmas i think it was that was just terrible but we'll we still listen to it because it's you know christmas you know we're you know in in the spirit of it and um you know even the the bob dylan one uh you know as bad as that is it still has some some fun moments in there um so and then also the the john denver muppets one is someone that i'll that, that that we like to uh, to listen to every year, but not only that, but then you have the you know the the half hour TV specials from from when I was a child, or you know from probably when all of us were a child that never was put on a on an album that mm-hmm. we like to try to to get to as well. I mean, one of my favorite traditions is the I'll, I like to watch every year. I like to watch the um, uh, Christmas Eve at Sesame Street special from. Yes. Uh, I think it was 83, maybe. I can't remember the year, 79 or 83, something like that. I've got but, that on DVD. Um, yeah, I've got it on DVD as well. Yeah, so we watch that every year. And the songs in there that, you know, were never made it to an album, you know, we enjoy, you know. So it's, so it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's all aspects of it. I mean, so, yeah, there's definitely albums that we gravitate towards, but there's also you know, half hour TV, half hour to hour TV specials that we, that we like to watch every year too, that, uh, you know, the Grinch, obviously the Grinch, the music of the Grinch is another one that we yes. just, you know, we have to, you know, we have to watch that every, every year, you know. It, it's yeah. almost, I was going to say, it's almost a shame in a way, because you've just, you've just made me think that there's certain people who did Christmas specials on television. So you've got like the, you've got the, you know, the famous uh, Bing Crosby shows. And yeah and johnny cash and all these other people and i almost think it's a shame that their estates aren't doing something with that material in a way because i think it would be perfect for them to get some of that together and even though it's been recorded you know with 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 television studio equipment you, you could clean it up nowadays and you'd have you'd have some really top classy christmas albums to listen to there from some of these people because there's some really good material on those shows right you know what you're reminding me of marv is uh almost every single year andy williams had a christmas special (laughs) absolutely yeah and um i've seen like pbs specials that are more like a compilation through the years of what were on those specials but i'd like to see a dvd set of you know what he put out each year yeah broadcast so he was very well known for that. Yeah, the same same over here. I mean, uh, for uh, Owen will might be able to uh, go with this one, but we used we had somebody in the UK whose name was Baldunican, and he used to do a Christmas special every year back back in the day. So for for the people that are into that, that they would probably like something very similar from from him. Owen Baldunican is from my hometown in Waterford. Okay, wow, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and uh, and oh, going back to Paul McCartney, I wish that he'd just released that Christmas album that he said that he's recorded for his family. <laughs> yep. Someday. Yep, someday. <laughs> someday. <laughs> so I do have well, a guilt. Oh, go ahead. Go on, Dave. I was going to say, I do have a, a guilty pleasure CD that I had almost completely forgotten about there for a moment. Uh, a gentleman named John Jonethis 
Uh, he is known best as being a lounge act and had the opportunity to release an album called The Ultimate Lounge Christmas. Interesting. So yes, uh, nothing nothing made heads turn more than when I put that on because it was a little bombastic and a whole lot of fun to listen to, uh, especially <laughs> the, way, with the way he opened up with his uh, version of Winter Wonderland. Hmm. And it just really, really catches attention every time. And then he just has this somewhere between uh, an alto and a baritone crooning voice that you just is distinct. You cannot miss who he is the minute he begins. I've always been. Is it over the to... top? Go on, Ken. Go on. Yeah. Is it over the top? Go on. I would say it, it, it gets it gets there. You know, it's definitely something that Leslie Nielsen would appreciate. <laughs> but it's not thinking more like like what Bill Murray used to do. Oh yeah, yeah, Saturday yeah. There we life. go. Is it more like that? <laughs> I yeah I think Bill Murray still outdoes him, but it gets it gets there, it gets there. <laughs> I think William Shatner needs to do a Christmas album. Oh, <laughs> don't give him any ideas. <laughs> I always thought he should do a Doors cover band. <laughs> wow, I, I can the storm. I can just hear him doing you know break on break on through. <laughs> it's always been a high moment in my shows through the years on my every little thing shows when i play lucy in the sky with diamonds from william shatner right. absolutely yeah. <laughs> classic so overdone classic. <laughs> going back to one that uh, tom mentioned does that put me in the minority then that i love the bob dylan christmas album I think it, I think, yeah, I think it's it just has a, a bad reputation. I think people listen to his voice and they don't think Christmas at all whenever he does that, <laughs> that, 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 that Christmas album. But, um, uh, you know, I, I tend to listen to it more just for, for the music. Uh, but, um, but yeah, it, it definitely has some cringeworthy moments. And there are times where I'll, we'll have people over as well. I'll put that in and, and I'll just get the, the look, you know, <laughs> it's like, why are you playing that? <laughs> I mean, the, the first time I heard his, his uh, rendition of Must Be Santa, I thought, wow, that's, I, I never saw that coming. Right. <laughs> 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 I still I got to admit, I, I never heard it. his album. Yeah, well, <laughs> okay, I think I none of us saw the, the album coming. I think we were all just, you know, <laughs> just hit by a school bus on that one. Um, <laughs> And yeah, every year it makes money for charity. Yeah, yeah. At least there's that. So let's go into top five Christmas songs. Oh, we were looking forward to this bit. Mm -hmm. So since since uh, Tom's there, go on then, Tom. What would you say are your top five Christmas songs? Okay. Well, um, well, I can't have a list. Without, um, you know, obviously, wonderful Christmas time. We'll just get that out of the way from from '79. Um, you know, everything to the picture sleeve of of Paul dressed as Santa. I mean, I just love that, and it just it was one of the very first videos I remember watching as a kid. And uh, the song will always have a special place in my heart. Um, I know not every McCartney fan likes that song, but um, but I am a believer. Next will be um, another. You know, a favorite of mine, uh, 
children's television specials of back in the day, um, uh, Rudolph Rednor's Reindeer that uh, had Burl Ives as the narrator and uh, his version of A Holly Jolly Christmas has always been a favorite of mine. I know that was recorded um, again for, for the album uh, later, I think for the following year. The special came out in 64 and I think the album came out in 65 and he re-recorded the song. Um, number three would be uh it's the most wonderful time of the year andy williams um that's that's been a song that's just been a grower every year and i really look forward to hearing that song every year um i don't know if we have that one on vinyl yet um but we need to do something about that soon um it's a song that's uh yeah i mean i I, you know every christmas every december because i really start getting into christmas music say like two weeks prior to uh to christmas and it's really not christmas until you hear that song and 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 also in a sarcastic way we use that in in my field i'm a chef and um you know we use that term sarcastically because it's also our busiest part of the year so we tend to uh not really like that part of the year (laughs) anyways just because of how busy we we get um Number four, um, you mentioned the uh, the album earlier. Uh, you know, the a Christmas gift for you, the the um, uh, Chris, uh, Christmas baby, please come home by Darling Love. I think that's the best song on the album. Um, the the playing on that on that song is just masterful. I love everything about that song. And she um, can still hit those notes. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that came out in 63, uh, same as the Andy Williams song. Um, and my favorite, my all, my all-time favorite, is um, will always be Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree by Brenda Lee. Um, uh, I mean, such a mas- mature-sounding voice for a 13-year-old at the time when she recorded that song. And, um uh, again, music-wise, I, I really like that one. I tend to really gravitate towards uh, lyrics, but in general, when I listen to music. But but come a holiday season, you know, Christmas time. I mean, it's a, the, the song's also got to have a Christmassy feel to it too, and and that one uh, does as well. So uh, those are my top five, and I guess we can do like an honorable mention later, or unless you want to do that now. We'll do that later and let everybody else okay. get their five, I think. Cool. I feel really bad that I missed It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year because I love that song and I should have put that in. <laughs> I'll not forgive myself now. So, Uh-oh. Ken, what about your top five? Okay. Um, my number five song comes from the Jackson Five. Um, it's actually not one that you'd expect from them. <clears throat> it's called Give Love on Christmas Day. Beautiful. They did a Christmas album. Yeah, thank you. I mean, you always hear uh, I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus uh, from them, um, and Santa Claus is coming to town, but you don't really hear Give Love on Christmas Day, which I used to hear all the time on the radio. They don't play it anymore, Hmm. and it's a beautiful melody. It is. Um, I love to hear it with him singing with his brothers on that one. Um, also, number four, I have to put the Carpenters in there. Uh, Merry a, Christmas, darling. Yeah. Uh, I never get tired of hearing. It's a beautiful original song. Uh, there, beautiful melody. Karen Carpenter has has a voice like you know, <laughs> can melt your heart away. Um, and the arrangement. Richard Carpenter was so great at arrangements for all those Carpenter songs, and he doesn't get nearly enough credit because everybody points to Karen. You're but totally um, right. Um, 
it's an amazing song. Uh, I, I can hear that song every day leading up to <laughs> Christmas and never get tired of it several times. Um, one song that I've always loved and I appreciate more and more with every passing year is Do They Know It's Christmas. Um, you know, I get kind of tired of the charity record with a multitude of superstars who each sing one line. Mm-hmm. But this one was done so well. It was really executed so well and a variety of different voices on there. And, um, you know, how it all ends with the, the chorus of Feed the World. I just think um, it, it's a marvelous record and song. And hearing the chimes at the end, and it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's wonderful. And the beginning of the song, too. But, um, yeah, I mean, between that and I still love We Are the World. And those are the, like the two best in that particular category of charity records. Yep. And Phil Collins drums on Do They Know It's Christmas. His drumming on there is relentless. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I did not know that. Cool. Yes. Uh, Number two has got to be Happy Christmas War is Over. Um, I love the fact that between Paul and John, you couldn't find two more different Christmas songs. (laughs) That's what what Paul and John were all about. (laughs) Contrast between the two of them. You know, one guy writes uh, Good Day Sunshine, the other writes Rain. You know, and so in the case of Christmas songs, you've got a very serious song like Happy Christmas, where it's talking about ending the war. War is over if you want it. And yet at the same time, you got this wonderful children's uh, chorus or choir in there, which added so much to the song. It's like the only time, unfortunately, when the public can accept Yoko Ono singing in a song. Um, but uh, it's a it's a really a truly great song. And um, number one has to be Wonderful Christmas Time. It has everything in a Christmas song that I love. Great hooks, great melody. I love the sound of Paul's voice. It has a lot of different sections to it that all you can string together. So it's seamlessly, which is a hallmark of McCartney, um, who can write all these songs like a band on the run that has different sections to them. And they flip together so well. So... um, you know, Christmas does not start for me until I hear Wonderful Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? And there's oh, there's so on. many other Christmas songs I love, but I'll talk yeah. about those later. Yeah. Okay, Dave, what are your top five? Well, I specifically avoided Motown for this because I grew up on it. And there could be like <laughs> a top 50 right there. <laughs> I'm going to bring Motown back in. <laughs> that would. So there we go. We're safe now. Uh, at... Uh, with that being said, uh, number five for me was the Chipmunk song by Alvin <laughs> and the Chipmunks. Yay! <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that that was the album that I knew things were starting to happen because my like myself with my wife, my dad would finally let the Christmas albums out and start putting them on the record player at home, and that was inevitably the first one that he would play. I think we broke the picture window in our house listening to it really loudly once. It was quite fun. So. <laughs> Uh, great memories there, especially with uh, with Alvin yelling, okay, Dave. Uh, so we had that going on. Uh, number four, uh, Oh Holy Night. Uh, again, just something from, from my early childhood days up through my youth. I found an amazing rendition of it by a very talented uh, gentleman who will probably only ever be known as the former husband of Amy Grant. Uh, his name is Gary Chapman. Mm. Yeah, uh, just an amazing, amazing Nashville uh, artist talent, 
and he did a Christmas album and his rendition of Oh Holy Night in that is just about perfect in my opinion. Uh, moving down from there, uh, again, this is probably one of the things that started my journey uh, into loving the guitar as a musical instrument, uh, even at a, at a young age of probably uh, maybe three or four when I saw it on television. And that would be uh, Jose Feliciano's uh, Feliz Navidad. Yeah, good one. Very just a festive, fun song, Lovely. Um, upbeat, and just the energy that you just feel coming off of that recording him and just a little, little classical guitar and every, all the little percussion stuff going on in the background. That is uh, one love that I've been very fortunate to pass down from uh, from hearing it myself for the first time to all of my children loving that song as well. Uh, and then from there, uh, speaking of crooners, Dean Martin singing Baby It's Cold Outside. Yes. Yep. Just loved his voice. Uh, you know, he, he was known as the, as the prince of comedy uh, in the world of music, but his singing was right there with with frank and probably because of his uh family and relationships we'll put it that way it's probably why he was safe from frankie and then uh last on this list and i really don't consider this one to be uh motown uh very well known uh louis armstrong louis armstrong uh, what a wonderful world uh playing that from my father's record collection uh, I was extremely excited when that song got a lot of national attention again, thanks to Robin Williams' movie, Good Morning Vietnam. But that song has always uh, kind of been the the essence of what I felt about the holiday season, where everybody finally lets go of all the tension. They try to let go of the drama around them and focus on one another. And it does become a wonderful world because for at least one moment in time people are able to drop their baggage and enjoy life okay uh what a wonderful world i've never really thought of that as as an actual christmas song myself it's it's a song that you listen to all year round and it it makes you think about the wonderful things that are around you that you might miss and it's, it's a perfect song for when you're feeling a bit down to make remind you that there are these things in the world Agreed. And it's like you said, it's one that you can listen to year round. For me, I do. I do hold on to it for for this time of the year, just so that um, I don't wear it out for myself. Okay, And Owen, what would be your top five Christmas songs? Uh, So my my top five. Okay, Number five, I would put in Wonderful Christmas Time, the seminary track, given its infectious groove and it sounds like a McCartney 2 outtake. Number four, I would put in Peter, Peter Oti's seminal seasonal classic, Walking in the Air, which, if you don't know in the US, is a scintillating choral falsetto. Yes. Yes, it's beautiful. Uh, number three, I would put in Greg Lake's I Believe in Father Christmas, a wonderful ode to the failings of commercialism. Yep. Number two, I would put in the, I had the great pleasure of interviewing Mike Bass, and I would put in his, his gorgeous Only a Winter's, t- Winter's Tale, which is, about, which is a song about uh, losing love in a time of great snow. Yes, a beautiful uh, vocal by David Essex on that. 
Yes, people are going to point out that I wrote a piece for Culture Sonar about him being a one-hit wonder, but uh, he was uh, Rock On was his only US hit. Yeah, unfortunately. And number one. Yeah, and number one, because it has such an effect on everyone in Ireland, it has to be Fairy Tale of New York because of the way that they seamlessly bring Kaylee music into a pop song. Okay. Here's an interesting one. Are all these songs known to people in America that we're mentioning in the UK? I don't know the David Essex one. Mm. No? You, you would love it, Ken. You should, okay. should, you should listen to it. It's, it's a beautiful song. Okay. And, What's the and, name of it again? Only a Winter's Tale. Winter's oh, Tale, yeah. Okay. By David Essex, and it's written by by Mike Bat, who wrote yes. who wrote Bright Eyes. Yes. Okay. Okay. And and who does Fairy Tale in New York? The Pogues. With Matt Dillon in the music video. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, so my top five, I'm starting with, I'm, I'm bringing back the Motown here. <laughs> I'm starting with uh, Stevie Wonder's What Christmas Means to Me. Good one. Because it's, it's, got it's got a fabulous groove and the words are just so happy and make, make you smile and they say everything that, that a family Christmas should be and... Uh, then I, I don't know if people in America would know the song uh, "Driving Home for Christmas" by Chris Rea. Mm-hmm. No, Get I don't. Me on that one. No, you know that one, don't you, Owen? Oh yeah, yes. Yeah. It's, um, it, it's a feel-good one that you play on the car when you're driving to see your relatives. <laughs> Absolutely, it's basically yeah. about somebody who's always away from home working, and and it's the whole idea of the fact that they're coming home to spend time with their family at Christmas and they've missed them. And it's that sort of emotion behind that. Uh, number three, I've picked exactly the same at number three as Owen, which is, uh, I believe in father Christmas by Greg Lake, which I think, uh, is beautiful. And the way that he uses, um, I'm trying to think now. Is it is it Shostakovich that he's using in that song, Owen? Do you know? Do, 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 do. That's oh, it. God. I, yeah, I know the tune that you're thinking of, but no, I, I, I can't remember the composer. Yep. It's called Alan Cozen. <laughs> oh, if only Alan was on here, he'd be shouting at us right now. <laughs> <laughs> you just know it. <laughs> but... Uh, I think it's a beautiful song and the, the sentiments there where they're talking about, I think he's basically saying that you should be thinking about people rather than what you give to people. And it should be more about the the feeling behind it rather than, yes. I, I, but the whole music is just beautiful. But then again, it's Greg Lake from Emerson Lake and Palmer. You, you can't go much wrong there. <laughs> I think uh, number two, uh, I think I've got a complete opposite to, uh, to Ken. I've actually gone for Paul's song, Wonderful Christmas Time at number two, because <laughs> it's infectious. And in a way, Tom Tom's the same as me, where it's a song where, because it was from my childhood, it's got that magical place there. And I remember the video on, well, we, we have Top of the Pops, or we did have where you had music videos, and it was all over there and on. It on that went program. to number six in the UK. Yes, I believe so, yeah. But 
Shame it wasn't a number one because it, it, it deserved to be number one, I think. Mm. I agree. Mm. I agree. You know, the, there's a lot of songs that Paul did that were hits in the UK that weren't hits here. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's funny how that works out because, um, you know, like Pipes of Peace was a number one single. Yeah. True. Absolutely. And once upon, upon a long ago was a yeah. number 10 yeah number 10 hit that kind of thing we all stand together was a top 10 hit there too number yeah. two yeah yes and so obviously my number one is the john and yoko song happy christmas war is over which mm. i always say i've got it on my itunes and occasionally it will come on <clears throat> halfway through the year it'll come on in sort of june or july and and i think sometimes i think do you know what i'll just let the song play because i think it's got a message behind it that i think is important not just at christmas but for the whole year where basically it's all about peace and trying to give peace to everybody you know just have peace around the world and i think it's it's a beautiful and very heartfelt sentiment that you can tell the emotions there. And I think Yoko's chorus is, uh, is, is brilliant. Yeah. And it's timeless too, because there's always a war going on every year. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, I would just mention two notables, which would be, uh, I like the song. I don't know whether everybody knows this. There's a song called stop the cavalry by, uh, Jonah Louie which I think is a, a great song. And uh, he didn't intend it to be a Christmas song when he started writing it. He, he just meant it to be uh, just a general song. But somehow or another, it, it ended up being, I think it's got this line in it where he says, I wish I could be home for Christmas. And it's about somebody who's a soldier in, in the war wanting to be home with his, with his family. Uh, so that's one. And the other one is the... Uh, the, the Beatles song, uh, is it Christmas time is here again? And I think that's a brilliant song. It just makes me smile because it's like a, it, it's almost like <laughs> a Christmas version of Yellow Submarine where it's just a sing-along where everybody just is doing it. And you can hear them almost smiling when they're recording it because they're just enjoying <laughs> the fun and the, the, and the larking and messing about. You, I, I just like that song a lot. So there's my two notables. Over to you, Tom. Thank you. Um, yeah, um, I, I'm a big fan of Elvis's Blue Christmas. Uh, always liked that one. Um, uh, I got to mention my ma's favorite because every year I got to get her get her one of these for Christmas just as a joke. She loves uh, I want a hippopotamus for Christmas, um, which is just a lot of fun. <laughs> Who <laughs> and, does that? Uh, what's that? Who does that? I need, I don't know who does that song actually. I I didn't look it up. I should have looked it up, but um, but uh, I think it's a a girl, probably a song from the late fifties, early sixties. Um, I love just about every any version of, of of Silent Night. I really enjoy. Um, and then um, my wife's favorite, and this this is the farthest farthest thing from her dad, but she loves a song called from John Denver called uh, "Please, Daddy, Don't Get Drunk This Christmas." <laughs> and then obviously the Christmas song "Chestnuts Ropes Roasting on an Open Fire" is is you know again that's just one of those songs I think you have to you know it's not Christmas unless you hear that song every year. What do you think you of like Paul's, Paul's version on that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Paul's version's okay. Yeah, yeah. it's okay. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I'll, I'll still gravitate towards Nat King Cole's version, but, um, you know, I, I'm not going to turn Paul's version off. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you think, Ken, of Paul turning it into a vegetarian song? <laughs> I think oh, yeah, that's clever. right. He changed the lyrics. Yeah, that's yes. right. Yep. Some holly and some mistletoe. Mistletoe, yeah. Yeah, he worked that in. I didn't even notice it till somebody pointed it out to me. No, but that's what makes it so clever, you know. It is. So, Ken, what 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 notables uh, have have you got then in your list? I've got a few. Um, There's um, "Last Christmas" from Wham. Yeah. Uh, We play that to death here on the radio, but I never get tired of it, and I always love George Michael's voice. Uh, Stevie Wonder, "Someday at Christmas." Really, anything that Stevie Wonder does, I love. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, the Pretenders, they did 2,000 Miles, which you hear Christmas time, as well as Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Um, you know, you were mentioning specials on television. Um, you got to say the Charlie Brown Christmas special. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And uh, all the Vince Giraldi stuff and yeah. uh, the children's choir singing. Um, yes. What's what's the song? Christmas time is here. Cheering, I love yeah. that. I just absolutely love that. And the the Mr. Magoo <laughs> Christmas <laughs> special. I love that the music from that. Uh, Ringo's Christmas album. I love a lot, mm. of, especially a couple songs. I want to be Santa Claus and mm. Christmas Eve. Um, of course, there are the classics like from Brenda Lee and right. Bobby Helms with Jingle Jingle Bell Rock and. Um, I love listening to the albums from Nat King Cole and Frank Sinatra. Um, yeah, the Chipmunk song's got to be up there, especially since David Seville comes from my hometown of Milford, Connecticut. Uh, so I, I bought the, the Chipmunks and the Beatles when I was a little kid. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that's uh, just about most of them right there. Okay. Yeah, and also, uh, we, we need a little Christmas from Mame. Okay, I don't, I don't know that one, but yeah, from from the soundtrack of Mame. You you know it if you heard That's it. That's a Broadway. It was a film and Broadway musical. Okay, okay. So, D- Dave, what have you got? Any uh, notable uh, Christmas songs that weren't in your list? Yeah, uh, first would be Brian Setzer's take on "Run Rudolph Run." Yeah, mm. just that kind of that big band feel to it that he has kind of transitioned to from his days with the Stray Cats. Yeah, uh, always enjoyed, you know, you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. Yeah, and sure. in that in particular, uh, there is a little known kids group uh, called Go Fish, and they did an acapella version of it, and uh, it just it works out great, complete with the guy who can really get that that low low baritone voice for for part of that song. With the stink, stank, stunk that always got me, just yeah. <laughs> and uh, and the contender for the list that didn't make it because it was Motown. It'll uh, be the last one I'll, I'll add to my list or talk about here. It was uh, "What Christmas Means to Me" by Stevie Wonder, yeah. which was my that was oh. that was right there. But just because it is is Motown, it's the only reason why I didn't keep it because then I'd have to. Yeah. give way to like i said about 50 other tunes that i've grown up loving right yeah it's funny how you and i would take motown for granted in in a way where you know growing up you know I, like i said i lived in michigan for 31 years and yeah. i barely ever saw like a motown act live 
You know what I mean? But it took me to move to Arizona to finally see Stevie Wonder live. You know? Oh, so. wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just like, you know, because like you said, you just grow up listening to Motown and it's like every, you know, every other song on the radio is a Motown song. You know, if you're mm-hmm. listening to the pop stations or, or whatnot, it's just, it's, you're surrounded by it, you know? So, it, you know, it's a lot of times you have to move from Michigan <laughs> in order to really finally start appreciating it again, you know, just because you hear it all the time yeah did you see a lot of motown acts live dave uh i did not i was just at that uh that age where where i was just outside of that and my parents uh didn't let me get out to a lot of shows when i was younger you know if Mm -hmm. it wasn't something that was um uh, put on by a by a local thing it wasn't too often that we'd go out to to see a, a music group uh, often on uh, this is telling I would sneak out to see some of my favorite bands or some of my friends and their favorite bands around that time of the year in the guise of going to another friend's Christmas party. <laughs> <laughs> so unfortunately, not many. I, I have had the opportunity to to run into uh, a couple of them, uh, and that was great. Uh, meeting, and I'm totally going to blank on her name now. But getting to meet the bass player for just about all things Motown uh, and get a chance just to chat with her for five minutes mm. uh, was, you know, part of the top of the hill for me. Just, you know, you would never assume that, you know, it, it was the same group and that could be a whole other topic. Yeah. But, you know, all this, the backing band that, that made Motown happen was just out and out amazing. Yeah, our appreciation for these backup groups who really we're so responsible for the success of, of those records. I mean, yeah, so many acts, you know, James Jamerson in particular, you know, oh, Bobby. nowadays, you know, we have the luxury of going online. I can go look up Wikipedia for every single Motown song and find out who played bass on this and who played the drums <laughs> on this. And, but you didn't know back then. Mm-mm. No, it was, it was like you thought every, every group was a, was a new band coming out and it, it wasn't the case at all. Right. Mm. Yeah, it's funny too because when you like you see like a, a cover of an album by Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes, you think all oh, the Blue Notes are the band members, but then you see them, <laughs> you know, like on a TV show, you know, they're just backup singers, really. <laughs> yeah. It's just like the Wrecking Crew, you know, back yeah. in so many, yes. so many acts of the sixties. Yep. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yep. So yep. So you've got them on the. Uh, the, the Wrecking Crew, you've got them on records by uh, Beach Boys, um, Monkeys, Simon and Garfunkel, The Monkeys, they're all Grassroots, the, the Association, yeah. Yeah. Mamas and Papas, you know. Yeah. And then you've got people that come from the Wrecking Crew as well, like Glenn Campbell was a member Glenn of the Campbell. Wrecking Crew. Oh, yes. yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So, one of the greatest honors of my career was interviewing Glenn Campbell. Cool. Oh, nice. He's cool. Yeah. So we actually one up to Paul McCartney and played the bagpipes live doing uh, Mullock and Tire. <laughs> yes, he did. I brought that up to him. <laughs> yeah. All, right. All right. When did that happen, Ken? Um, I'm guessing, let me think, uh, probably around 2004, 2005. I was working at the ABC Radio Networks as a producer there, and very often they would have people come into town um, that ABC, just because of the strength of their name, could get interviews. And if it was an oldies act, they would often have me interview 
person. And it was primarily to do song setups for their hits. But if I could, I'd try to sneak in some Beatle questions. <laughs> and, uh, but it was, it was one of the most memorable interviews I ever did because this was before it was ever announced that he had Alzheimer's disease. And I noticed there was something wrong with him when mm -hmm. I did the interview because there were so many times when he paused before he had something to say. It took him a while before he could complete a train of thought. And sometimes he would just doodle on the guitar to make up for that. Um, I didn't know what was wrong with him. And then later on, you learn what was mm -hmm. wrong with him. But he still made perfect sense with whatever he said. And he couldn't have been nicer. And he still made some lovely music as well. Oh, was, he, he was one of the greatest artists of all time, really. Yeah. An amazing guitarist. And if you ever watched his variety show, I mean, he could sing with the best singers. He had a great vocal range. And he, and he really downplayed his vocals, too, to me. He made it sound like he was just a guitar player that got lucky. Hmm. But, you know, you listen to his voice on those hits, especially, you know, Galveston or you know, by the time I get to Phoenix. Great vocals there. Wichita lineman. Yeah. Uh, before we go too much off subject, we'll go back to we'll go to Owen and ask Owen if he's got any uh, notable songs for, for Christmas that didn't quite make his top five. I'll just go with one, being a major Midge Ur fan, I'll go back to Band-Aid and do They Know It's Christmas, although that racial insensitivity, I think the, the production sheen is, is wonderful, and it's also strangely postmodern, you've got those clever bits where Sting sings his own name, and Bono doing a Bruce Springsteen impression. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hmm. Um, I, I've just thought of a couple of, of of albums that I'll mention that I listened to that I forgot to mention earlier. And the first one would be the Beach Boys Christmas album. I think that's a mm -hmm. classic album that I really have to listen to every year as well. Um, <laughs> I love The Man With All The Toys. <laughs> that's so a great I. Yeah. So do I. It's, it's one of those where... It's a bit like um, it's it's a bit like the Wooden Soldiers song on the um, on the Phil Spector album. It's one that's not a well known Christmas song, but it but you hear it and you think I like that because it's so it's not one of those songs that's always there. So the one that you mentioned, the man with all the toys, it's another one of those where it's got that special thing to it because you don't hear every single person singing their version of it. It's one that's a rarity in a way. I think that makes those sort of songs more special. Mm. I agree. Um, and another one, I think the Amy Mann album, One More Drifter in the Snow, I think that's, I think that's a little-known album that I think is a really good Christmas album. And I have to uh, uh, step back really quick and apologize when I was... Thinking of Motown, I was inadvertently thinking of Carol Kay from The Wrecking Crew <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> instead of uh, James Jamerson, who was the bass player for Motown. I, after I said, I'm like, oh, right. Wrong group. The minute you said Wrecking Crew, I'm like, yeah, that's the right mm. one. <laughs> but didn't Carol Kay do the bass line on My Girl? Maybe she did. I maybe... think she did. Oh, okay. Oh, James Jamerson. Yeah. 
yeah, I, I always I always knew that James Jamerson was like the main the main person in in uh, Motown, but Carol Carol Kay from the Wrecking Crew was the one who was at at Nam and made a brief appearance, and like nobody knew who she was. It was quite amazing. You, you watch these people walk around like Ron Wood. And you know, everyone mistakes him for looking like some kind of a metal act. And yet you find out and you talk with him. It's like, oh, you're Ronnie Wood. And he's like, what, did you look up my face before you talked to me? I'm like, no, I know who you are. Oh. <laughs> you're Ron Stewart's uh, other guitar player besides Jeff Beck. And he's like, oh, yeah, the other guitar player. <laughs> well, wasn't Marvin Gaye the drummer or one of the percussionists on my girl? He did play drums on some Motown records. Yeah. Wow. So... Anyway, now that we've got to the to the end of that, so uh, Ken, where can people find you? I'm always in my den, all day long. <laughs> all I do is work on my Beatles shows. I have That's no it. life whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> now, Ken lives at. If you want to go for coffee? <laughs> you, well, you can email me at every little thing at att.net, and. Um, don't forget to just look at my website, which is kenmichaelsradio.com. There's loads of interviews of people uh, connected with the Beatles and Beatle authors. And now I've expanded that to my YouTube page, which is Ken Michaels Radio. And, uh, you know, I might have some of you guys on, on the YouTube channel. I'll probably invite a lot of podcasters on. Um, but I'd like to expand that into being something beyond just Beatles. Because one of the things that I'm really into is to interview people who are Primarily songwriters that are not as well known um, for their own recordings of their songs, but they wrote for so many other people. Like um, Jimmy Webb is someone that I'm really proud to have interviewed. So there's a line of a lot of people that I'm going to try to interview that are kind of in that same category for my YouTube page. And then there are the podcast shows of things we said today and Talk More Talk, which you can find on YouTube and you can subscribe to them. Okay. And Tom, where can people find out more about yourself? Well, I can. I've got my own man cave that I'm always in because, (laughs) (laughs) you know, the wonderful advice that Ken gave me back when I was looking to start a podcast. Once you get started, it never ends and it has not ended in the four or five years that I've been doing this now. So thank you for that advice, Ken. I much appreciate <laughs> it. Um, but you can find uh, Two Legs and Talk More Talk, like Ken said, uh, on our YouTube channels. Um, please uh, check those out and subscribe to them. You can also find Two Legs every, everywhere, really. Uh, Amazon, Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Pandora, iTunes, iHeartRadio. Wherever there is a, a podcasting platform, we are there. Um, email us at twolegspodcast at gmail.com. We do have a website, twolegspodcast.com. You can find us there. And, um, yeah, it's it's we're basically doing two, two episodes a week at the moment for some reason. I don't know why. But. <laughs> <laughs> but we just got a lot of we got a lot of energy right now. We've got a lot of time on our hands. Well, I shouldn't really say we have a lot of time on our hands because we don't. But uh, for some somehow we're we're finding all, all this time to do the stuff that we wanted 
get going. Um, we're, we're, you know, our December shows are, are coming up nicely. Um, like I said, we're going to have uh, Luca Prazzi on for our McCartney three episode, which I'm looking forward to. And we're currently in the works of, you know, getting Gabe Dixon on the show who uh, was the keyboardist for uh, the driving rain album. So looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, plenty more to come. So uh, yeah, two legs. And then as you know, talk more talk is everywhere as well. So please check those two shows out. Thank you very much. And Dave, where can people find you and find your show when it comes out? Absolutely. Uh, you can find more information about what I'm doing at decibolic.com, uh, D-E-C-I-B-O-L-I-C.com. Uh, that is my main place. Um, also very prolific with posting on Instagram and have a little page on Facebook as well for people to connect with. But you can go from decibolic.com and from there you'll be able to find links to all of the major platforms, iTunes, Spotify, working on Google Play and iHeartRadio right now, and Anchor FM and a few others. So it's trying to make it as easy to locate Live Life Loud, the Decibolic podcast as possible. Thank you very much. And Owen, where can people find out more about yourself? My book is available for sale on Burning Shed, a YouTube book, and I'm on Twitter at EMLing. I'm more comfortable writing than I am on Zoom, as this episode is undoubtedly shown, but you can read some of my writings on We Are Cult, Cult of Sonar, New Sounds, and, and The Digital Fix. Okay. Thank you very much. And Pods Like Us has its own webpage, which can be found at themarbzone.org. And we have an Instagram page, which is basically at Pods Like Us. And there is a Facebook page as well that you can search for. Anyway, thank you, everybody, for talking to me today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah. Tell yeah. Louise thank you, Mark. out there. Great to be here. We're all going to have to try some of those famous desserts that she keeps making you. <laughs> <laughs> To take us a bit meta here, I'll just turn to the side of me and say to Louise, Tom says, we're all going to have to come over here and, and eat all this lovely food that you keep posting up. <laughs> <laughs> if we could send it in the post, we would, Louise. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you, everybody. And thank you to the listeners for listening and hope you listen again to another episode of Pods Like Us. So you you move in the episodes then to fit in with the with Macca. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're moving the episodes. Right. He needs to be on the show now to make up for messing your show order up. <laughs> that and all the color vinyl I've been ordering. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yep. We're in. Uh, we're in talks with. Uh, Gabe Dixon right now who did a keyboards on the Driving Rain album. Yep. Ooh. So hoping to uh, have him on after the new year. That's very naughty, Martin. Eating chocolate while you're supposed to be doing something else.
<laughs> Are you eating chocolates? I am, yes. Uh, I should stop. You said he can hear both of us. Yep. Well, that means he would have heard you saying about yeah. coming out and back in again. So have you got work on today then, Tom? No, no. It's, Mondays is usually my days off. Yep. Usually Sunday and Monday. Um, so it worked out good. But uh, starting next week, for three weeks in a row, I'll be working Mondays and with Fridays off. Wow. Cause well, the first, well, the 18th, uh, 18th will be the McCartney 3 release date, so I want it off for that. Yeah. And uh, then, you know, then 25th is obviously Christmas, and then the first is New Year's Day, so. But haven't you got, haven't you got talk, more talk on Monday the 21st? Um, yeah, but that's yeah. at night. So, I mean, I don't, okay. I only, I work during the day, so it won't be a problem. That's good. Yeah. Is anybody else joining? Yeah, I don't know. It's going to be a very um, two-person conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, am I there? Yep, you okay, Dave? Hey. I think so. Getting everything set up here real quick. Yep, D Dave is Decibolic, I think he's called. Is it Dave? That's correct. Yeah, Decibolic yep. Podcast, Live Life Loud is what I call the uh, yeah, podcast. So, and and he's, mm. he's, he's a complete newbie because his, his first episode goes out, I think, is it next week, Dave? That is correct. Yeah. Uh, cool. Well, welcome to the welcome to the community. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's great yeah. to be a part of this. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I, yeah, I don't understand it either, Ken. I, I don't know why it's not why why we can't hear Just you. Trying to get everything to work the way it's supposed to. Oh, good times. If Kit or Andy were here, then they'd be able to explain everything because they're they're. They're the bosses, aren't they, at knowing how to do all this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can hear us, but yeah, Ken, you know, my my one of my show my co host on one of my shows, he can't Hey, there you are. Okay. Hey, all right. I just had to take the um the plug out of the USB and put it in a different uh, USB port gotcha. that works. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, silly little anyway. things like that. <laughs> I'm hearing you fine. Me too. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> try to yeah. work with this. You, you probably have a bit of editing to do then, Martin. <laughs> Indeed, with all of these different voice um, recordings to go through. Yes. Because I've got that to work. I've worked that out as well, so that now I get an individual recording for each individual person person on Zoom as well. Oh, that's great! How'd you manage that? You use the uh, so on your laptop or computer. Don't do it on the browser. Oh, Download no. the actual software and use that, and then you can go into the settings on that and set that to give you a different recording for each participant. Oh, wow. That is so cool. I didn't realize that. Instead of doing it the normal way, because that won't let, let you do it by using the browser version. Yeah, 
you know, I've been using a piece of hardware by Motu that allows me to have a, a loopback that's separate from from my voice. So I've been able to have, if it's one-on-one, -on -one, I've been able to track them separately in myself when yeah, I'm recording. Yeah, yeah. Rick that's really on, cool. Yeah, Rick on, um, oh, that show I did, that film show I, that I did with them. Rick, he, he does it that way. They record it with the same piece of hardware that you're talking about where he gets an individual feed and a feed of everybody all together, and that's how they make their show. It works, it works great for me, but that's yeah. good to know. I'll have to play around with that some more. Thank you. Yep. That's all right. <laughs> yeah, I'll just stick with audio. Yeah, yeah. it'll happen. And also, that's depending fine. on it will, <laughs> and also depending on if anybody else turns up, we yeah. might we might might need the bandwidth for more people. Right. That's fair. Uh, yeah, I can yeah. do that too. Ooh. Yeah, I haven't combed my hair picture. yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's bring up. Where are we? Need that. Then anything. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> just about here, Owen. Yeah, just about there, buddy. I mean, uh, can you hear me? I can. Yes. yes. Yeah. Talk for about a talk oh, for a great. minute, Owen. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Talk between talk yourselves. Talk for a minute. How's that? Mm. Okay. All right. Very good. How are you, Tom? I'm excellent. Thank you, my friend. Hey, Owen. Hello. Stand here. Long time no see. The video was fab. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, thanks. Thanks. We're getting a lot of positive response to it. And yes, yes. Um, yes. yes. Uh, Adrian Sinclair knows that in one of the clips I looked slightly like a 1970 McCartney. <laughs> nice. Can't go wrong there. Uh, it's, it's my... It's my it's my favorite era of McCartney uh, in terms of his image because he looked, he looked, he looked the business. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yep. So, did, did you hear Ken? I said to Tom that uh, Paul now, uh, Paul McCartney needs to appear on um, Talk More Talk to make up for you having to change what week you do in the show. <laughs> I agree. Oh, yes. I agree. Absolutely. The inconvenience of it all. Yeah, I know. How dare you? And how and how bare <laughs> he's making my wallet. Yours and mine both. Crikey. Well, <laughs> between between Tom and and yours and Joe Mayo and mm -hmm. uh, Darren DeVivo and, uh, <laughs> and Alan Cozen, yeah. Ed as well. Well, Ed said he's not going to get the violet that just got announced uh, an hour ago. So, oh. <laughs> I didn't hear about that one. <laughs> Oh yeah, we just all got a text. If you if you got a text with McCartney, you, you he just texted saying that uh, we get the first uh, dibs to his now violet uh, color of. Oh McCartney. Jesus, I missed that one. Yeah, just uh, just an hour ago. Why didn't Paul me? God, I think Owen was trying to say something. I think he's on a delay too. Owen. Uh, I simply I said you look you sound suspiciously like Sam Wiles from Paul McCartney Pod. <laughs> I am You've got a similar not... Right. I I swear a lot less than he does. <laughs> oh, he doesn't yeah. swear when I do a show with him. Uh, he's just being respectful. Uh, lucky you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's because you're Ken Michaels. 
I like to screw with my audience <laughs> and my audio. <laughs> You're great. You're doing a great job. <laughs> Fantastic. Let's start this while we can. Hey? Okay. All right. Okay. That was fun. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Thank you. That was great. Yeah. It was. Yeah, we, we got there eventually. Yes. I think I'll go and um, put a Christmas record on. Uh, <laughs> yes, we're going to go and dig out Phil Spector now, aren't we? Right. Yeah. I'm going to have to check out all these songs on YouTube that I don't know yeah. that I wrote down. So. Absolutely. Like, like I said, you, you'd like that song. And um, uh, what other songs did we mention that you that you might not know, uh, Ken? That you remember? Uh, Chris Ria. You know, the thing about Chris Rhea is I've, I've always wanted to learn more about him because here in the States, he only had one hit, you know, which I've, it's one of my favorite hits of the 70s. Fool, if you think it's over. Yeah. But I've heard that his, mm. his, his catalog is really strong. You know, are you familiar with a lot of his stuff? Yep. You, you would also, if you like that song, you'll also like uh, I Can Hear Your Heartbeat. That's, that's a beautiful song by Chris as well. Okay. Um, and, it's interesting uh, who makes those decisions too, whether or not, you know, to put out a song from a from a you know a UK artist and how it becomes a hit here, and that might be the only hit, you know, that they have here, hmm. you know. But yeah, right. but yet they'll have such a great career, you know, in their home country. It's really interesting. Yeah, and you, you get the you get the opposite with some as well because there's the rock band Bush who were British, mm -hmm. but they were famous in America for about right. two three years before. Before yep. we even started, before they even started showing on the charts in the UK, so it works the other That's way. That's hilarious. Well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and people thought they were British. I, I thought right. I thought Bush were a British band, but they were just. Oh no! I thought British you. First. I, I misheard you. I yeah, thought you meant America. Uh, <laughs> no, I was on about a group called. called Bush. Yes. Okay. Yeah. But then Sorry. a lot of friends, some friends of mine think that Supertramp are American, and I have to keep saying to them, "No, they're a British mm. band." <laughs> oh, speaking of mistaken yeah. identity, one of my favorites was reading an article with Steve Lukather of Toto. They had just started their Japanese tour after, you know, like what eight or ten years since they'd been together, mm. and they get over overseas to Japan, and they get out of the airport, and here they see all these billboards for Toto, and they're just like, "Wow." We didn't know we were that big here. Get in and talking with the with the limo driver on the way to the hotel, and they're like, "So what's the deal with with Toto?" You know, I didn't realize we were that huge. And the guy just laughs for about thirty seconds straight, and in in his best English possible, says, "No, Toto brand of toilet seat here in Japan." <laughs> <laughs> oh dear me, that must have put him back in his back. <laughs> Back in his place. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like, wow. Oh, man. I think that might be a sore spot if you uh, ever, ever interviewed him, Ken. <laughs> I, I, I have interviewed him, but I never knew that story. Yeah. Oh, you have? I, oh, cool. I haven't got that far into his autobiography yet. <laughs> but it is, a good, it is a really good autobiography. Mm. I should pick that up because I, I do want to interview him. When I interviewed him, uh, um, I made sure the, he hadn't worked with Ringo yet. He hadn't been in the All-Stars, oh, okay. but he did work with McCartney, McCartney right. for yeah. Broad Street. So I brought that up. Mm. You know, but I always remember because um, one of the singles that they had here in the States, which was a top 40 hit, not huge, but I always loved, was 99. Oh, 99 is a brilliant mm -hmm. song. Great. Yeah. 
And, yeah. and I told him that's my favorite song of, of Toto's. And he said, oh, I hate that song. <laughs> <laughs> so so if any of you interview Steve Lukather, you can all say the same thing to him. That 99 yeah, is your favorite 99. song. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, Steve, that song, yeah, not 99. That's such a good song. Because that was basically when he was like the, the leader, I guess, then, if you will, of, of Toto. When he started taking over lead vocals, I would imagine. I don't, I don't think Steve ever was the lead vocalist. Okay, yeah, I'm not 100% sure. They had, they had a guy, Bobby Kimball, early okay. on. And I think that I think he was the one who sang "Hold the Line." I okay. Think. Mm, I have to go back and look at that. I thought, I thought that was David. I thought that yeah. was David Okay, you could be right, but Steve was never the the okay. main lead vocalist. Right. He can sing, but he's he's not gotcha. as strong a lead vocalist okay. as the others. It, it's a strange thing, really, Ken, because if you look at if you look at the. Um, the, the 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 credits for for Toto, you'll find that they keep splitting up the lead vocals between all of them, including Bobby. Mm. He's not always mm. the lead singer. It's it's, it's mm. an interesting um, turn turntable of of a band, really, in that way. Right. I guess you really got to study them so you right. can distinguish the vocals. Yep. There you go. I know that when when um, Steve Lukather has toured with Ringo and they do um, right. Africa. Um, or Rosanna, yeah. especially the, the real high parts, he can't sing. No. So they, so they usually have, um, um, what's his name? The 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 music coordinator, the saxophone player. He he does the uh, the real high part. Yeah, I forget his name. Yeah, it, oh, but, uh, oh, I'm, I'm like Mark Rivera that. was. That's right. You know, right. And, exactly. And in the, and um, in the beginning, when Steve was in the band, I think Mark did the high vocals on those songs. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, Mark can sing pretty well, too. Well, well yeah, because, I mean, back, back in the days with, with, with Billy Joel, his mm -hmm. band, including Mark, they all used to be all the backing vocalists on the albums. Yeah. They did all the group vocals. Very cool. Very cool. Mm. Well, Martin, I got to take off. I appreciate being yeah, a part of you. this. Yeah. Yep. Go on, Ken. Th thank you. For, thank you, Ken. This was this was brilliant. Thank you, everybody, for this. Yep. Yep. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Let us know when it's out, and we'll uh, we'll uh, promote help. Plug the hell of it. Yep. yep. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. And uh, if I don't say it before, then have a lovely Christmas and a fantastic New Year. Yeah. You as well. Yep. You as well. A wonderful thank Christmas you, time. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Happy Christmas, everybody. Dave, nice talking to you. Yes, Dave, it was nice meeting you and good luck with you, sir. And Tom Owen, thank you so much. It was it was a pleasure to be here with you guys yeah. today. Thank you. Cool. Cool. Thank you. Talk to you later, Owen. Okay. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, Owen. I'll, I'll see you in an hour, Dave, for the next Christmas show. <laughs> Sounds good, Martin. Thank you, man. Cheers, man. Bye. Okay. Cheers. Bye bye.